The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? When everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. On this episode, Bellelli's fellow Ojai resident, former NFL player and church pastor Paul Bergman joins us to share all about his truly eclectic life that has taken him far beyond sports. From the building of his own church to a life now filled with helping the marginalized in his own community, this is a truly fascinating journey that one episode is simply too short to tell it all. Get ready to be inspired. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. This is episode 246. It is November in Ojai. It's a nice 83 degrees. Yes, indeed. Pleasure to be back in the garden. It's, uh, it's funny. It's 83 degrees if you're in the sun. It's about 40 if you're in the shade. Yeah. <laughs> There's like an excursion that's insane how it changes from... Uh, um, oh, you have this giant wall here, so there's no telling what you guys are going to yeah, get. Yeah, it changes uh, quite a bit. Did but, it seem as hot this summer as, as past summers? Because my visits, there was never really those sort of 107 degree days for too long. No, it wasn't so horrible. Uh, I also wasn't around the air that much, that's so true. I traveled a whole lot. But like, yeah, yeah, the previous couple of summers we had a... I think a 112 one, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Got really hot, but no, we're good. Yeah, the, the usual sign is when I try to take the dog out at one point when it's not night yet. It can even be just very late afternoon and we take three steps and the dog look at me like, what the hell is your problem? And runs back in because yeah. it's like way too hot. There's no need we're for this. We're not doing this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you make a good point. <laughs> so Azog is a good Ohioan. Ohioan? I don't know. I have no okay, idea how to say it. But speaking of people, uh, not dogs, but people from out here, today's guest lives just uh, one street over and is just an awesome human being. He's just a sweet, good human, fun to chat with. He had a pretty impressive football career. Yeah. Then he became a preacher for 25 years or something. I forget the exact, but a really long time. Yeah, 33, then he said. 33, then he stepped out of that. Then it. He's a very fascinating human being. Yep. And today, I think today is probably just going to be part one of a multiple part conversation because as you leer toward the end where he's getting going on a different topic and he was getting late in the episode, so we're probably just going to start back up with that same topic on a future conversation coming up soon. Absolutely. I can't wait. It just, yeah, you just got to listen. No reason to spoil any of it. It's, he's got quite the story and, uh, like I said at the end of the show, it's the most hope I've had in a long time. 
Yeah, he's a guy who makes you feel good. Yeah. That's for sure. There's a lot he of a good energy. Great attitude about life, yeah. for sure. The, um, sweet. So before we get going with the conversation, let's say a few quick thank yous. Of course, thank you to Shore Design, who have always been amazing to us. So if you are in the market for T-shirts or pants, check out Shore Design T-shirts or their sister site, Harem Pants. Either one of those is great. Uh, shout out to dakotapurebison.com. With the code HOF10, you got a 10% discount at Dakota Pure Bison if you are in the market for any bison-based products, whether they be beef jerky or steaks or burgers or anything of that kind. Uh, just want to do a quick reminder, if you want to check it out, I started a link tree that is spelled L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash my name, Daniele Bolelli. So link tree forward slash Daniele Bolelli. There's all the YouTube channel, Substack, Instagram, you name it, all the possible things that give it a follow. It always helps out. So thank you to Home Cellars and MaterraWines.com. Both of these sweet folks, they send me wines from time to time, and that's deeply appreciated. And now, speaking of deeply appreciated, it has been a while since we haven't released an episode in a bit, so this will be a longer-than-usual list of the sweet people who have been parting with their hard-earned money to support the show. Oh, let it rip. Let the pottering begin. So thank you to Joseph Lord, Nicola Togni, GlobalHobos.com, Eden Cario, Andre Garapetian, Thomas Robinson, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Frederick Hahn, Stephen Rados, Lane Raper, Donald Chipwitten, Luis Peschera, Yanni Nima, Jesse Rantakanga, Saron Weisner, Clayton Payne, Stephen McKee, Daniel Fischel, Jonathan Waterloo, Ryan McMurklin, Nick Zunik, Stephen Notariani, Chris Trishbaugh. So nice. What a nice list. You what got- a lot of familiar names. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Very sweet that you guys keep listening through the years. We deeply appreciate it. I mean, we are almost, we're approaching episode 250 coming up soon. So yeah. this we is, have we're been in, we're in the year 12. Yeah, year 12. That's insane. Yeah, because episode 250 is impressive if you do it uh, once a week. Yeah. We do it like twice, twice a, a month. month. So that's uh, that's a long commitment to say the least. I don't know. We'll come to our senses at some point. <laughs> but yeah, check it out. And also, of course, if you shop on Amazon, please use our Amazon link. Or if you want to join this brave band of heroes and donate to the podcast, paypal.me forward slash dbolelli. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash the letter D, the letter B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Holiday is coming. If you need something for that bratty niece or nephew, Kiva cards, kiva.org. You can get them a $25 loan that they can... Give to whoever they want to on the website. It all counts towards the Team Drunken Taoist count. Rapidly approaching $250,000 in, in loans from our fellow listeners from over the years. Just incredible. Always appreciated. But, yeah, it's kind of a fun thing. Uh, I've heard from different folks over the years. A lot of times these kids will relend them money over and over. And others, the second it comes back in, will drop it into their little bank account. And In the old days, we get some quarters and play video games. But, um Imagine, if I hadn't played video games and just bought some Apple stock. Yeah. <laughs> that would have anyway, been nice. Yeah. I don't think I'd be a good rich person. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I know well, it. Well, there's, uh, there's <laughs> no way to find out. There's so no you're way to find out. I don't got to worry problem. about that. It's not happening. So Cool. Anyway, here we go. This is a great episode.
Okay, ladies and gentlemen, today my neighbor is here. Good old Mr. Paul Bergman. We are neighbors. Thank you so much for showing up today and uh, chatting with me. Paul is a fantastic human being. We chat uh, a few times in the past, and every time I'm always like, ah, we should do this more. We should. And this time I'm like, ah, let's do that with microphones on. Let's, I like it. Let's get the ball rolling. I like it. I like it. Yes. Well, I'm super fond of you too, and so grateful that we were put. Uh, in touch with each other, Pastor Nar, I think it was that did that. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then I, I was captivated immediately uh, in reading your bio by your martial arts background right, right. because I'm just that's a part of my DNA. Because you like too. hitting people. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that transferred over into my football career. Yeah, it actually, yeah. actually, it was I, I played European football. They do. My, yeah, my parents were immigrants, and right. I really didn't grow up playing American sports, basketball, baseball, uh, football, yeah. but I played I played a lot of what we call soccer here, right? and I loved it, and then ended up playing like on a men's team and, and a club team. Uh, they'd even lie about my age, because I was like 15, already getting on there, and 16, but I was a really good, but I, I gravitated to the position of keeper, mm-hmm. and and that was that was my domain. So that's and how it was you very martial arts-like, right? right? It's course. like, this is your, your domain, you're defending, yeah. you're attacking. I was very physical that yeah. way. And then I, uh, I was saying to Rich, then I got to high school, it was the 10th grade, and a friend of mine says, "Hey, look at the girls here. They don't really, they don't really go for soccer players. And <laughs> think about the football team." I'm like, "Well, I could kick." So I went out and became the kicker, yeah. place kicker. That was 10th grade, and I was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then by the 11th grade season, they, they really looked back at film and they saw, "Man, you know, he only kicks kicks off. He runs down there and he makes the tackle. Let's stick him at linebacker." Nice. And then, I, and then the <laughs> physicality of the martial arts yeah. background, I loved contact I of course to hit and i was really good and then my senior year i was starting linebacker but we had a depletion in the receiving course and they moved me to wide receiver and my quarterback happened to be our senior year together with john elway who oh, was yeah nfl hall of fame yeah five super bowls and we <laughs> just tore it up you know we, we so his can of film went everywhere in the country I played three years, really effectively two years of American football that I'd never played before. And I had, you know, dozens of D1 scholarship opportunities. How good is that? Uh, it was great. Uh, but I went to UCLA. Yeah. Elway was trying hard to get me to go to Stanford with him. And I told him, I don't even think with you that they can win a Rose Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they never did. They never even went to a bowl right, game, right, you know. Right. So, and I was fortunate. I went to UCLA and had a rough start there. It was, it was a, like I said, it was a, it was a quantum leap from high school football, even though my high school was a, a big, big 4A contender, uh, to the Division One level was a big leap, and it, it took several years before I got my traction, and then my, mm-hmm. I got a I had you know shoulder operations and all that stuff that kids go through, uh, and a lot of the emotional trauma, a lot of the uh, mental health challenges that weren't identified mm-hmm. as mental health challenges. Uh, Concussions. Yeah. Oh man, oh, I, I got yeah. severely concussed, and I and I, you know, I used to think I was stupid because I would like be in study hall, I'd yeah. read a chapter, and then I try to take the quiz at the end, and I'm like, I can't remember a thing, you know. And I, I must be an idiot. Yeah, but I wasn't. I was just severely concussed. Just getting yeah. hit a lot, yeah, getting hit yeah. a lot in the head. <laughs> That's but, somehow yeah. not good for you. Yeah, not not so good. So, um, but by uh, my fourth year, I got traction, and, and I started my fourth and fifth year, and we just we had tremendous teams, great coaches, great friends to this day. We went back to back Rose Bowl championships, oh. uh, set a receiving record for tight ends, and then I broke my own record. 
um, beat SC both those years. We were really good. Yeah, that was my next question. <laughs> yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, uh, that was probably my most perfect game. I remember the, my senior year playing USC and saying like, okay, this is going to be a perfect game. And there is a there is a specific trophy for the offensive player of the game uh, for that one, and, and I ended up with that on my shelf. And, uh, yeah, because that you know the rivalry between the un- schools is so huge that yeah you yeah. become the local hero for and it's 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 hilariously it's contrived. I mean the whole thing is really contrived. Right, I mean you just make up this animosity. Of course, of course. It's just it's so made up. It's kind of funny. Yes, and and because I came to the to the game so late, yeah, that was more you know apparent to me sure like, oh yeah we hate those guys why yeah. why do we hate them like, i don't know yeah yeah no they're sc yeah yeah, yeah you know, they're just, which has always kind of been funny to me uh in fandom but uh but yeah that was it was a it was a huge rivalry still is and still a lot of fun uh around there but yeah football was not something i expected and then i got drafted played in the usfl which was a really fun competitive league mm-hmm. and uh and i got to, to play there and then went to the from there to Kansas City. But again, it was another quantum leap, and I was just behind the curve, sure. right? The guys just kept getting bigger and stronger, you know? And I was faster. A, and faster. I yeah. mean, I was, you know, I was a 6'2", 235-pound, which was a good size mm-hmm. in high school, college. But by the time I was getting to the pros, these guys were going 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", you know, 240, 250, yeah, 260. Yeah. And they're running 4'8", 4'7", 4'6". They just keep dropping. right. So I was, uh, I just kind of morphed out. That's where I, I wish I would have uh, switched to offensive line because of my martial arts background and, and what I learned in football. I was a very good athlete, mm-hmm. okay? And, and, and because I didn't, uh, this is kind of a, a good thing, to, kind of a principle. And, and because I was a student, I, I, didn't know, I didn't bring anything to the table when it came to football. I got lucky. I had great coaches, and I did exactly what they told me mm-hmm. to do. Right. You know, that was one thing they loved telling me, like, dude, you're coachable. Yeah. Like, I show you how to do this. <laughs> right. I show you how to drop your hips, shoot your hips, how to hit the crowd, or how to you and you do exactly yeah, you that. You do it right. exactly, and yeah, that's yeah. kind of martial arts training, right? I mean, it was kind it. of fed fed right into that, and and so I was really good at following directions. And I could have, I, I if I would have switched to offensive linemen. You'd have got another ten years. Out I could of have it. gone ten years. Yeah. I could have been an unbelievable guard. I don't say that as self, you know, yeah. uh, uh, inflation, but I say like w- I look at that position and I look at the ones that are good, and I could be three hundred pounds overnight. There was not that wasn't hard for me. I could I could shoot. I'm pushing it now. I could I could do that. But I looked at that and I'm like, that's where I really would have been very right. very judo ish, very yeah. sumo ish, very. Then again, a few less years of concussions that may not be... I would probably uh, not be sitting here exactly. right now. Exactly. So <laughs> overall, I think you lucked out. Yeah, no, it's bad enough. No, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I am diagnosed with CTE, so I, I have that. That's a challenge that a lot of players have. I don't, um, I don't dwell upon that. You know, it, it, the, those symptoms are becoming more and more apparent. Uh, but I think keeping a positive attitude is a yeah. big part of it. And... Uh, can't find my keys and I don't know why I'm standing in the garage just move on to the next thing and then right. you'll figure it out do you think the league actually cares that, that's I know a, the players association does yeah yeah I you know I think the, the, the league is like any any corporate entity I think there's lots of people in it that care sure but it's still part of a systemic thing right yeah. so yeah. and this big system is not not going to change and and uh getting hurt is certainly part of it yeah, it is a part of it. There, there are you know big measures 
I mean, like just in technique. When I was in high school, for example, my head was what I tackled with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Full That's, on spearing stuff. Yeah. Huh? Oh, it was that. You know, the, 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 you know, after games, you wanted to look at your helmet and see how many gouges you had because you were, <laughs> you were letting. I was leading with my head, and yeah. I have an anvil. I do. You know. I mean, like some guys. You know. You, yeah. you know. The, that guy can take a punch. Mm-hmm. I can take a punch. Right. I really can. It's it's, and it's probably part of the problem, right? Of because course. I would get concussed and I would get back out there and, and continue to play. My double Make vision would worse, of close course. in. I yeah. remember catching the, the ball one in the once. There was two balls in the air. I'm like, oh, let me see which one. I'll get that one. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, but it it's a it's a part of part of that. And but the the, t- the training technique is much better today. Uh, I watched uh, the world. I uh, love I love rugby too. I just watched the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Republic of South Africa, New Zealand, England, these teams. But I watched the tackling, and these guys are just beasts. And literally, you could do that to football. You could take the concussions out because these guys, despite the, the violence of the game, they, they very few concussions. Really? What rugby. do you think? Uh, what's the difference? Because they don't have a helmet. No they helmets. don't lead with their, held, with oh. their head. There's no advantage. You're going you're gonna to kill yourself. So do you think most of the concussions are you leading with the head as opposed to other people hitting you? I, or? I, the most of my concussions were certainly uh, me leading with my head. Right. Now, when I was playing defense, it was the same thing. You, you wanted to blow a guy up like yeah. me coming across the middle. You would, you would just go head, head to head, helmet to helmet. Right. So that was a lot of it. Uh, and it, and it, it wasn't discouraged, you know, yeah. it was considered a great hit. And, you know, we say, things, oh, you got your bell rung, yeah. you know, well, you know what I mean? You got concussed. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah, That's yeah. Add up. It's amazing how yeah. different. It's so different uh, now. So, uh, th- but the, the helmet creates this uh, feeling of uh, invincibility that, yeah. that you still pay a price for right. uh, down the road. And um, so they're, they're, they're getting away from that. They're trying to get guys not... And, and they're doing a much better job. It's incidental yeah, more. That's, it happens uh, regularly, yeah. but it's more the incidental. The shift on the kickoffs is a nice idea. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make that much of a difference in the game. Yeah. It does cut down on concussions. The thing that most people didn't realize, and, and I did as a player very quickly when the, the discussion came up, and that's what's changed more radically than anything, is that I suffered more concussions on the practice field than I ever oh. did in all the games combined. Of course. Of Practices course. were... You were butting heads, yeah, as yeah, we yeah, say. Yeah, for real. Yeah, practices where we went, you know, Oklahoma drill, line up yeah. one-on-one and just <laughs> smash the shit out of each other over and over and over. Yeah. That's done. Right. They're not doing that anymore. Practices right. are way, way, way lighter now uh, in the NFL. And, and, and the money's bigger, so there's less incentive to see your guy get hurt in practice, yeah. right? So they're, they're, they're uh, uh, you know, of course it can still happen and it does sure. happen. And I have no regrets. I mean, I'm not. I'm not crying a conspiracy here. And uh, do, did people know about it? Yeah, of course they, they did. Uh, they knew about it in boxing and everything else. I remember once I had to bounce. I was working as a bouncer, and when I was at UCLA at Crystal Palace, and I had to bounce Jerry Quarry, mm-hmm. the, the the great fighter. And I'm yep. a big fight yep. fan, right? Yep. And uh, he was upstairs, and then it was past two, and I went up. And, and then I, I, he had a big leather jacket, and I looked at him. I'm like, are you Jerry Quarry? <laughs> I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, give me the keys. I'm shutting down tonight, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and yeah. chat with this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was magnificent. And he was punchy as hell, yep. and he was aware of it. Yep. But he told me, he's like, Paul, I, if it wasn't for boxing, I'd have been dead a long time ago. Right. I'd have been a street punk in prison. I'd have been it. 
it saved my life. I was able to see things in my life that I never would have seen, experienced things, have things, because I have no, mm-hmm. I have no regrets. Because I know it's happening, but I have no regrets. Yeah, and I mean, unboxing. That's the name of the game. Yeah. To give each other concussion. I mean, that's right. literally you know what you're all you're doing. doing yeah, yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting when you mentioned regarding football, uh, which actually, in some odd kind of way, even in boxing, you could add that because there's that paradox of the protective equipment, the stuff that visually makes you think that it's safer, like gloves. that actually makes it less safe. Absolutely. Like the thing that you say about the helmet, you figure, yeah. I have a helmet, yes. I'm safer. No, because you change the game in a way that you actually take more damage to right. the head. Or the gloves, you know, giant puffy gloves that allow you to throw crazy power that punches. break your hand. That you couldn't doing, do yeah. otherwise because <laughs> yeah, you break yeah. your... So, you know, when they go bare knuckle or with, like, gloves, you see a lot more cuts. Yeah, people but you bleed, don't see, but they're not sure. getting brain damage. Yeah, it's not going to be great. You know, if you want to win a modeling contest, that's not the thing that's going to help <laughs> you because you're, you're going to get anyway. yeah, yeah, your yeah. skin cut a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But other than that, in terms of brain damage, you take way less that way because yep. nobody can afford to throw that Absolutely hard true. all the time. And, and that's the case of rugby, too, when you yeah. watch these big, strong men tackle they're in with the shoulders they get their head slipped past it's 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 a coincidental if they if they have they don't want to hit heads or But, even like the the 10 count is like yeah. you clearly just got concussed yeah. and we just give you a few seconds just so that you can just come back so and you can come back and get uh, it again get yeah right? i mean it's like uh what's that one in Latway, the um, burmese uh, style yeah they give you two minutes right You can be flat out, cold, face first on the mat, and they give you two minutes to come back, which is terrible because, terrible. of course, in two minutes, you probably and will yet, come okay, back. I'm not gonna, but <laughs> then here, I can't lie. I can't yeah. lie. I'm also so captured by that person pulling themselves Absolutely. off the mat yeah. and Absolutely. going back in the combat. I'm just like, oh, that's, my God. That's the reality you know? of it. You, you see know? Tyson Fury get off the mat at yeah. like the count of nine yeah. and yeah. then come back and win the fight. That's mm-hmm. also part of what... <laughs> the legend of, of sport is in, in combative sports. Speaking of Fury, what did you think of uh, yesterday's fight? It was, it, you know, I don't think I was surprised. Um, I thought the guy was going to be problematic because uh-huh. he's, he's, he's thick. Yep. He's thick, he's big. Uh, I didn't think Fury looked particularly, like nobody looks at him and goes like, oh yeah, he's in great shape. Right, he But, looks terrible. Yeah, yep. he didn't look, he looked, he didn't look like he really worked that hard mm-hmm. for this fight. Um, what surprised me was the guy's stamina. Yep. He went 10 strong rounds. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's the part. Like, if you told me Fury got dropped, I'm like, yeah, I believe it. Oh, yeah, sure. And then uh, Ngannou gasses out, and Fury gasses puts on out. a boxing clinic for the next whatever many rounds, you know, eight yeah. rounds, nine rounds, because it's going to happen, you know, Ngannou yeah, is going to drop it arms. early he's, on he's, he's when great. he's fresh, and then he's going to yeah. dial it. Not at all. I mean, yeah, he dropped him early. Yes, they went... Bangano looked like a boxer, looked yeah, good. He, he did. He was able to That's, actually, he kept his stamina the entire 10 rounds. I think that caught, caught Fury off ground. You off, know, caught, when you count, ground. even just on points, forget the knockdown, just on points, he was a really, I mean, I know some people say, oh, Ngannou clearly won. People are like, no, Fury won. It was a really close fight. Like, close however fight. you want to slice it, it could have been like one round for one guy, one round for the other, yeah. but you're talking about head to head, really, yeah. really close. Yes. That's insane considering that you think about Ngannou never really box as his primary thing. You know, that yeah, I think nuts. I read Tyson said it. He thinks it's one of the toughest fights he had in the last 10 years. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. This guy gave him yep, yep. 
yeah. more problems. And he had a chin, obviously, too, because he took some good shots. Oh, yeah. And Gano has a fantastic story because he was, uh, I believe he's from Cameroon originally, if I remember correctly. Yes, I think and so. And he's... Um, you know, he ran off from Cameroon, tried to make it to Europe and got caught at the border seven times or something, right. got sent back. Every time he would do this crazy odyssey to get there. He was an absolute uh, rags to reach a story in terms of where he started. And, you know, he ended up homeless in France with no money, with nothing. Somebody started letting him train for free becomes an absolute beast, become the UFC heavyweight champion, then uh, does these. And well, how great is it, though, of Tyson Fury? And you got to love him, yeah. that he gives him this Oh, chance. yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Because yeah. this is a big step up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as like, just money-wise, yeah. as far as his career. Oh, he made from, probably more yeah, money here than, than his yeah, entire career. His entire UFC you know? career, yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is that... You know, you have seen all the crossover MMA guys go into boxing and they regularly get their ass kicked because it's a different set. Of, yeah. It's a more specialized set of yeah, skills. I think of Conor that, McGregor, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he actually did better than I expected. Uh, me too. I thought but he, he ran wasn't. Out of gas. He ran out of gas he and he got, and you know, getting knocked out by Mayweather was not exactly known for power He's punching. He's not a power puncher, no. That means you really, like, he had three, four good rounds and then and he then disappeared. He Garo instead was a beast. No, that was he just was something else. Um, I, I wouldn't, uh, if I was Fury, I wouldn't want a rematch. No, I know, right? Because no, really, like, you have more nothing to gain. Uh, yeah. Yes. If anything, more confidence, There's, uh, more things figured yeah. out. Do you guys think boxing survives, though? Or is it just, it's a good question. It's almost, been, it's almost niche now. It's, it but it always niche. does. I mean, the money they still make, like the fact that yeah, right. that guy it's could make uh, more money in one fight with Fury than his entire MMA career, yeah. I think still going to be... Well, because there's still something that is so... It, it's so uh, pared down. Yeah. To, Me, to four you. fists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, That's yeah. it. I mean, I love MMA. It's got everything. Yeah. You got everything going there. Sure. But this is the, the pugilist, yeah. the science of yeah. boxing totally. is still so interesting to me uh, to, to yeah. watch. Even when the kids that, that I don't even know yet mm-hmm. are, are up and coming, I love, I still am captured to watch it. But, you know, I grew up the day of the Titans, you know. My, yeah. I grew up with my dad watching boxing at the Olympic Auditorium, uh, black and white TV, I, live. That's how I grew up in the 60s, watching that stuff. Yeah. and. And then, of course, the advent of uh, Joe Frazier mm-hmm. and Muhammad Ali, oh. and you know that that era, and then everything that came on on top of that, Foreman and uh, Lyle, and all these big bombers, Ernie Shavers and Ken Norton. Uh, I, I was, I, I don't know that there'll ever be an era like that again. That yeah. was just these guys were just. And gods. even right after, when you had like a, the smaller weights, you had uh, Leonard and Duran and Hadley sure. Leonard and Duran. And Duran. Yeah. Oh come on, Fantastic. Ray Leonard, <laughs> Duran, Hearns, that <laughs> that trio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Hagler too. Hagler, Hagler was unbelievable. My yeah. Tyson was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now yeah. when Tyson, the advent of Tyson, Tyson was phenomenal. I mean, that was a. Again, it, it, it you talk about saving boxing. A whole new level. It, it yeah. took it to a whole new level again. I mean, it brought it right to the forefront again. Yeah. Just because nobody had seen anything. Like, he was just buzz buzzsawing through people. And he had such a great team around him with Customato and Cooney, uh, Rooney. Yep. Uh, even as you know, Clayton, his you know his financial manager, and that whole thing just got blown up. 
when when he when he ran into Don King. <laughs> and it's crazy, how, yeah. And it's crazy how you see, you know, what you were saying about levels to the game. How you know you yeah. went from high school to college, and there was this big, big jump, and then jump. you eventually catch up, and yeah. then it's the pros, and you're like, oh, shit, oh, start all this over. is another. And I was talking. There's a friend of mine who um, he won. Uh, I think he won uh, state championship in wrestling in Montana, <laughs> and so he was like feeling like he's good. Yeah, no, you know, I know he's I've good. I've done something big. But and then he went to Nashville and he felt like, okay, well, I'm barely, <laughs> I can barely so hang here. I know, you know, it's I like know. everybody's. My boys, my boys wrestled. Yeah. And that was nothing I saw coming, but they both did. Yeah. And they were pretty good, but they kind of jumped into wrestling the way I jumped into football in right. high school. They had no experience before, or whatever. Yeah. It was a lot of learning curve. But my, my son, Josh, ended up winning the title, you know, 170 title. Uh, for the for the conference and Tri Valley League and all this stuff, and then we went to CIFs. And my God, you know, I remember yeah, we were no, CIFs. The just to level are, up, just in yeah. high school. It's like yeah. he had to, he had to wrestle this kid named Kreider. I'll never forget him. He looked like he was about thirty four. He looked <laughs> yeah, he was in this white singlet. He was he had a waist about twenty two yeah. inches and a, a chest. I mean, he didn't look anything like my son looked. And then we're watching him wrestle. He's just destroying people. And Josh has to wrestle him. And we're laughing. I'm looking at him. Yeah. I mean, and he just <laughs> wipes him out. Tangled you know, him. yeah, just wipes him out like in 30 seconds. Super, you know, I, I, I have to say, generally speaking, the sportsmanship was incredible. Right. There uh, that, that I experienced in the high school wrestling thing. And, uh, but Josh and I were just laughing. But we're, we're like, wait a minute. So he's a champion, you're a champion, uh, but look at the difference. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and I think that's what's funny for you because you got to experience this at the high level playing yeah. with like the top of the top. Because, you know, you're used to, in high school, you can, you know, there are a bunch of people who are doing it who are semi-decent athletes and they can get to the varsity team, but really the top athletes just smoke them, right? The gap I, is and, so and I was huge. That guy. Not and I was saying, again, not self-aggrandizing. I'm just saying yeah. I was huge. I was athletic. Right, exactly. And, and, and yeah. I, I would destroy people. Makes it easier, you know, exactly. And then, the you know, sides, you go yeah. to college and suddenly everybody is the best guy of their school, yes. right? Yeah. So every the last bench player was a star in his hometown, right? So you're like, and then you go to NFL and you're it's, talking it's about all over again. Yeah. the best in the state. Each one is like... And Nobody think, actually sucks in the NFL. Like no, a lot exactly. of times we'll look at a team and say that team sucks, but their players are actually oh, yeah. really, really they good the players. Best, uh... They're just going against the guys that are maybe a level up or their chemistry is just a little better. They got a couple of more parts. That, but I know. even think like psychologically what it must do to somebody who has been used to being the absolute best since they were seven oh. years old. That They just breeze through their high school. They were the number one guy that everybody knows. Even in college they go in and everybody is... And then they get to that place where they are mid-low range and everybody's better and they never had that experience in their life. And it's, it, it ruins them. I, yeah. I, when I was at UCLA, like I said, I had it, it took three years to get traction there, right. right? Before I got to play my fourth and fifth year. There were so many guys, blue chip, top recruits, mm -hmm. that came to UCLA the same time that I did yep. that I watched just quit, yep. quit, quit. Quit. They didn't survive. They couldn't beat those they, other guys. They, they, they couldn't make this. And you know, I think really, honestly, it was more psychological, psychological. Yeah, physical. Yeah. They were the top dog. Yep. They were, you know, the bee's knees, the numero uno, the big cheese, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And then they got there, and they were just somebody else, just another guy. And, and a lot of people were competing for them for their position and taking them out. And then, you know, 
I just watched it happen over and over again. Like really, really good players that were much better than me, at least on paper, because sure. they accomplished so much in their careers. They didn't make it psychologically. Just they couldn't make the transition. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a hard transition. When you're it used is. to being the best of the best yeah. and suddenly you're thrown and you're shown like, okay, let's open this door and now everybody's at your level or better. Yeah. That messes with your head a it, little it, bit. It does. And, 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 and the NFL, you know, everybody, like I said, everybody is good. Yeah. Even the, you know, and people would get so angry at me, like, Whatever, the Browns, 0-14, oh, you know, Al- Alabama would kick the crap out of them. I'm like, dude, no. they would kill Alabama 63 to nothing. Right. Are you kidding me? And they'd be like serious, like, no way, dude. No way, Alabama. Have you seen Alabama? Yeah. I know. They're college kids. Of course. They're not, they're not NFL players. They're, yeah. You don't understand the gap. Yeah. There's a big gap. I understand that gap. It's yeah. a huge It's a huge one. And yeah, I'm not saying there isn't an individual player. Sure, sure. sure. Individually, yes. Yeah, individually, like, yes. You can see guys do that. But no, no. As yeah, a, as no, a whole, the jump is, is uh, trippy. <laughs> I guess, though, like in the whole concussion thing, so how do you deal with the fact that, like, like me, you know, you watch a box in fight and is exciting is cool is and and even those moments that are the hardest one where the guys getting demolished and they keep coming up and you know they are taking horrible damage i know and you know when he was uh, in my early days where i could be oblivious to city I, I would be like ah you're taking horrible damage like oh it hurts whatever you know be a man come back up but the reality is that when you know about city and you realize all the stuff you're like oh this sucks these i'm watching something i know the cognitive dissonance i have with it yeah is it it drives me crazy yeah because there is this twisted part of me that still of course. loves it i of just course. do i, I, I love like it yeah. Hit. i just yeah it's just like <laughs> it's it was trained into me in in so many ways or just part of my Oh yeah, no, I got it. My own upbringing. Where were your parents from? My parents were born and raised in what was the Dutch East Indies, right? So it was oh, a colony wow. of the Netherlands for hundreds yeah. of years, and uh, and then World War II broke out, and it, the island was invaded by the Japanese, and uh, my parents went into camps uh, as prisoners of war. They survived through that. That's a funny thing that Danielli knows that that my dad, one of his, he, he's had a brilliant mind it was good with languages but by the time the war ended and he came out of camp he was fluent in Japanese right and that was just the funniest thing because it plays a major role in how he made it in America so they they survived the camp but then the, right right after that there was a the Indonesian revolution for independence right on the heels of that so they went back in the camps for like a year oh. and then uh, Indonesia was finally birthed yep. as an independent nation and they went through that kind of that same thing in South African apartheid, you know, minority rule, to, you know, to majority rule, and all the shifts that came in a colonial state like that. But my parents continued to live there about another decade. My sister was born there. There was always a little tension, but there was a lot of need for the the, the infrastructure to be rebuilt, and and the help, right? That, that, of course, the Dutch governments and others. So that, but that happened. But then it got old, and and they really started kicking up. And there was internal conflict, political conflict, but there was also like the Dutch are still a problem. Yeah. So they sent my sister out, and then they lost for the second time in their lives everything. They were um, they, they escaped the country, got out with nothing. I mean, they lost their homes, cars, 
everything, furnishing bank. I mean, so it's like. You know, growing up, I didn't. Sure. I didn't have like all. You know, mm-hmm. where's all the you know the shit from our family? There is not. <laughs> it's all. It's all gone. You know? Yeah. So, so then they were uh, they were homeless for a while and uh, went to Holland and then they went. My dad got a job in in South Africa, Republic of South Africa. But my dad's uh, German, Dutch, and my mom was Dutch Indonesian, and she's pretty darkly complected. And then she got out there, and that was like, oh, we didn't know. That you, then we hired you. That you that you were married to a person of color, so that was done. They lost that. Where, where was that? This in was Holland? in in, in uh, South Africa. Oh, oh, yeah. of that's course, right. yeah. So that was over. But ironically, my dad's best friend in Indonesia that he that he made was a guy from the United States. You met him in the U, U.S. Embassy, and that, that was doing you know trade things. And uh, his name was Otto McLaren. Just an amazing, beautiful man, black man. His wife Justine. And he worked for the U.S. State Department there in Indonesia. They became close friends. And he helped to sponsor my dad as he went through the immigration process with the World Church Council and, uh, and helped get my dad to the United States. Right. But that was, so they came here in 58. My sister, my mom, my dad, I wasn't here yet. And Otto was, you know, super close friends, but he was black. Yeah. And Justine... You know, I grew up, after I was born, I grew up with Otto, and he's like my grandfather here, effectively. Uh, and Justine was albino. Um, so I just remember as a kid, yeah. you know, when we would go out, the shit that would go down. Attractively. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and, and my dad would be funny, because my dad would tell me, like, yeah, when I first got to the United States, I'm like, Otto, let's go here. Otto, I want to go to Vegas. Otto, I want to... He's like, I can't go there. I can't, get, I can't go in there. And this guy was like a big shot. Right. In, in D.C. politics. He was a gra- Howard yeah. uh, University grad, I mean, with honors. He, he, was a, mm-hmm. he, he served in World War II. He uh, was a brilliant journalist and, uh, uh, and, and, and politician and uh, brilliant man. I kind of grew up on his knees hearing about the black experience as an immigrant sure. kid um, growing up. And, I'm, and I miss it all, you know. Two wars, yeah. revolution, complete, you know, Financial destruction twice, homelessness, traveling the globe. I grew, I grew up in San Fernando Valley. You know? <laughs> and I right, played right, football right. in LA. You know? <laughs> and I'm yeah. taking martial arts class. Yeah. But my dad, when he, when he came to LA, like I said, he spoke Japanese and he did something so amazing because he was looking for a job, any job, and he took a job and he got his insurance license. And so what does he do? He devises this, this immigrant. He goes to Little Tokyo and he hires a bunch of Japanese insurance salesman yeah right and that's how he he starts his agency and they just dominate the japanese uh in in little tokyo in southern right. california they, they just, just, just medical in yeah. there yep. and he right. was iconic yeah. he's this blonde <laughs> dutch man walking around just blowing people away speaking fluent japanese and that's how i really got into the martial arts too right mm-hmm. so most of these guys have worked for my dad i mean they were multiple degree black belts mm-hmm. in, in a variety of disciplines from kendo to judo Hayward Nishioka oh yeah yeah Yo, judo yeah, yeah 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 um, and and these these guys and we would have luau's and parties and they would come and they do every kind of demonstration I was just growing up with of it course. and I got I got you know taught every time I'm at the office every time and then we'd be going down to tournaments all the time to watch them uh, so I, that's how I grew up. And, and funny enough, because of all of that and because of my dad and also being a big boxing fan, I look back to going like, oh, my gosh, 
And then maybe that's why I got so captured by Bruce Lee. Yeah. Because what I learned was mixed martial arts. Uh-huh. Of course, you are picking up yeah, everything it's a, from it's a these are the best other. of this, yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of the best of, of that. Yeah. Look, at, I can't do all the techniques, but what are sure. two top three techniques you right, know, right, right. on a, on a throw or whatever? Or And I'm like, wow. And, and so... And I caught that right away, you know, when I, when I was reading Black Belt magazine mm-hmm. all the time through the 60s and everything. I was, I was like, really? And then, you know, Cato, Green Hornet. Yep. He's coming, you know, it's starting to, it's starting <laughs> to come up, you know. I mean, I'm really, I was, man, Bruce Lee was yeah. my, my of course, God of course. growing up. And then I got formal training. But I also saw in the formal training so much of what he was talking about, so much of what was unnecessary. Yeah. Maybe discipline, good for discipline. So I never, uh, never, but but the practical aspects, you know, I saw that Bruce was putting together this this new hybrid yep. of the best of everything. Yeah, of course. And, and, I, and I loved that. And then he was gone. I was, I was devastated. It was yeah. just so, but but I never lost a love for it. And then, and then I remember, in the, you know, when the UFC started back, <laughs> It was like almost like oh man, it was like almost like snuff films, right? We'd have like, <laughs> <laughs> like a bunch of guys come over. I mean, like because there'd be you know, there'd be you know, Hoist Gracie and pieces versus Chemo. Yeah, and Chemo's like two sixty, Gracie's like one seventy. That's the first fight I ever saw. That one. Yeah, Chemo Hoist Gracie was, uh, if not the very first fight, it was the first event because it was, I believe, UFC three, and yeah. I was in a Brazilian restaurant that was showing the pay per view. I'd heard about the first couple of UFC, but I hadn't seen it, so I was like, "Oh, let's go see what's up." And yeah, that was definitely different from the movies. You know, we all had the image of what uh, martial arts would yes. look like, yeah. and you look at that, and you're like, "Yeah, while to make the shift and." Uh, and see oh, what it, it goes was. To the, so often, it went to the ground. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, the Gracies were, I think their primary black belt was in marketing, though. They picked people who look impressive, who look scary, and they knew that they, they could, could take they out. Could, they could submit because them. they are not like top-notch uh, sambo guy or even the early wrestler. They just got them where wrestlers had no idea of what even a submission was. And then as soon as they started learning, they got out, rightfully so, because now try to go against uh, 260-pound Dan Severn was, uh, when he actually learned submissions, you know. So, I mean, any time, you know, something like UFC was created by... Uh, what a coincidence the organizer is the brother of the winner of all the first events. It's like, mm, you know, it was a marketing ploy, but, you know, Absolutely. brilliantly done. With the advent of that, um, you know, I really did appreciate so much of what I learned in the martial arts, especially from those men, uh, and what my dad was gravitating towards in, in the Japanese culture was like the code of Bushido. Yeah, I mean, like really honorable yeah, yeah. stuff no, and disciplines fact, uh, and those that kind of stuff. And, and there is a fine line, right? Mm-hmm. Like ultimately, what you take with you to the rest of your life. Right. On the other end, if it becomes if you never really fight and it's all theory, then. Uh, it loses the Absolutely. the grittiness and realism of dealing with something that's actually scary, not something that's right. purely formal and whatever. Yeah. But it's a fun, um, I don't know, there's a weird duality there because I remember seeing an interview, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the guy, Evan Tanner, he yeah. was, uh, yeah, he was fantastic and he had this thing that he said that like, and you know, he played at the high level, he became UFC champion and all of that and he was like, I love this on one level 
And on the other end, I hid the fact that my hide moment where I feel so good and the great is built on crushing another guy. Uh, yeah, and, there, like I said, there you go. And there the was conflict. that, exactly. I mean, even like recently, there was um, with Savannah, we we're looking at some videos on YouTube. And then we see among the suggestions, the video of her last fight pops up, right? So I was like, oh, let's watch that one. Let's see when you did that. And I see, and the part when she's about to finish the fight, so she gets a big takedown, looks awesome, and she gets in this position where she's basically pinning both of the arms of the opponent and start dropping punches. And I turn over and I'm like, man, you're doing amazing. And I look and Savannah's she's, looking away. She's horrified. And she's like, I was like, huh, what's up with that? And she's like, I like that lady. I don't really like myself seeing punching her in the face you oh, know I, she's a sweet lady yeah, she's a sweet lady uh, yeah, yeah. ah shit it's like and you know if you see even the interview at the end she's proud of herself because she did something scary and hard but also so there's an element where she's like you get this high of sure. like wow i did something really scary and hard and difficult and i came through in the face of all the doubts all the worry all but he's built on crashing somebody. Right. And so then right. you're like, there's that weird uh, mixed emotion thing. Yeah. That's and, and, that, and that's a part that sometimes really bothers me today in sport in general uh -huh. a lot of times uh, is, is the humility. Listen, yeah, you crush somebody. But that that can be you. Oh yeah, next time around it will be. It will it's be almost yeah, guaranteed just, it, it, that if, is. If you, you take know. any amount of risk, of yeah, or push yourself at all, it's going to be you. Yeah, and that should bring this in kind of this humility even to victory. And sometimes yeah. I see that lacking. I gotta tell you, what struck me again about the rugby tournament mm -hmm. was the sportsmanship. Just generally speaking, across the board, yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody scores a try, they're not dancing in the end, right. they're not taunting the guy yeah. they just beat. It's not going on. Yeah. It's kind of foreign to me not to see that because you see it every day of in course. American football. Uh, they're not, you know, the, and then after the games, I don't care if it's like a, a tight one or they blew them out 45 to nothing. Those team, those teams line up, man, and they, they give respect and hugs and... Yep attaboys to, to everybody in the tournament and I, I so love that that's and something that society is missing it's missing it is that would fix everything it would fix a lot the sportsmanship would go a long yeah. way god i i just i swear it, would, it was moving me oh yeah uh in in that sense and in uh, yeah so like savannah being in that position especially in hindsight yeah like in the moment you're in combat but sure. in the moment you're like oh god really you know, <laughs> and in the moment of combat, yeah, yeah, you feel like you've achieved something because you sure. actually have. Of course, that's the point of the whole, the whole thing. Uh, flip side is you can also be that person that gets their face pounded in. Of course, and that's where you just go like, "Wow, this is what it feels like." That's and that's a big learning. Yep. You know, valuable gem to of humility of getting your ass kicked. Yeah, because that's the reality. Ultimately. Yeah. If you, it's like in anything, right? If you do it enough times, you will lose. It's yeah. a guarantee. It's not even an issue of maybe or when. It's just a when and not a if. And um, yeah, I mean, in that sense, that was funny because I remember even the first time, um, like all of her fights, I never seen her celebrate. She never even raises her hand or anything. Wow. She just yeah, so finished the fight. Yeah. She gets up, she shakes hands, and she's kind of like, yeah. Okay, let's go eat something. You know, right. there's just none of the big jumping off the cage, celebrate, none of that. That was your grandfather's job. Right, exactly. Just go ahead. Well, no, see, and I'm, you know, I'm a pot calling the kettle black because uh, 
you know, when my kids, all my four kids played sports. Yeah. Uh, and I always was a big supporter. Mm-hmm. And I'd also lose my mind. Yeah. In, 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 in the stands. And I'm not talking about cussing, but I mean, sure. I, I mean I'm very vocal. I'd like, go, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Of course. Go, you know, like, and, and, uh, it would, it would, and I'd be so nervous. Like when I played yeah. the sport, mm-hmm. my family would always say after the game, like, my God, how did you, how did you hold up under all that pressure? I'm like, ah, I didn't feel nothing. Really? I was on, yeah, I was like. So as an audience and, member, you feel it. I'm but as a, I am yeah. dying. I, I hate it. There funny. would be times where I'm like, I, you know what, honey? I can't go to the game. I just can't. I, yep. I know I won't be able to, yep. to handle it. I'm going to. Yeah, last time, uh, and I'm kind of glad she hasn't done another one. Last Savannah fight, I didn't watch it. I waited for an email to arrive to tell me how it went. Yeah, I was dude, like, I totally I'm get not, that. I'm not watching this. Wow, I'm yeah, just, that's that's really that's hard. Yeah, that's a funny thing. I didn't, I didn't know, but yeah, the kids, you know, and but back to the sportsmanship thing. You know, that was always a big deal to me. Uh, either way, in 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 the competitions, and and that's something we've we're losing more and more, um, and it, it 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 makes me sad. I don't, I don't. You know, I don't, I don't like that. Kind of reflects maybe even some of the, you know, the, the, the crazy divisions in the country. Although I think one side's crazier than the other. Don't get sure. me wrong. Sure, sure, uh, sure. The, but, but also that inability to to see yourself in that other person, mm-hmm. uh, in, in both sides, and to have that measure of uh, respect yeah. or doing it the right way or having that conversation. We were going to step into this eventually, I'm sure. The insanity of the attitudes of some people who call themselves Christians these days is unbelievable. It's They're the counter of what they're supposed to be. Do unto others, the strangers, the least amongst us. That has all vanished. It's, it's, it, does, it doesn't exist. And that, that's funny because now we're talking about a period of my life that I wasn't even thinking about until right now. Um, because we met through a guy named Pastor mm-hmm. Nar, you know, and 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 Nar, he's you know, he's a he's a very spiritual man, and he comes from a very um, interesting story of Christianity, and he deconstructed out of it mm-hmm. in, into a morph like I have, right? So, um, because to me, what I was a pastor for twenty three years here, and in and in, in ministry for thirty three consecutive years altogether two jobs so it was a big part of my world um but i don't identify as a christian anymore uh not, that's not to say i don't have an affinity mm-hmm. for many of the teachings that are related to jesus at mm-hmm. least whether it's the golden rule or do unto yeah. others that, I mean, that stuff to me like, uh, and i've actually done that or forgive you know because it's not about that other person deserving or anything. It's about you letting go of this garbage that's yep. clinging onto you. To, and until you can just like, ah, forgive them. I forgive them. I find a way to forgive them because whatever. Yep. They're not well. They're not, yep. they've got their own story. That's one of the most amazing things in the world too. We did a movie about Rwanda 15 years later. Oh, yeah. And the forgiveness during these Kokacha trials. Yes. Yes, yes you murdered my baby. Neighbor murdered your, yes, family just members. tell me where the bones are and all is forgiven. Yes. I don't think I would ever have that capacity for forgiveness. But if you don't have that rage inside you eating you up, maybe, maybe. you can't oh, even identify. I that see, and I have I've seen that radical kind of expression of forgiveness, and every time I've seen it, it has always been the gift that person has given themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, without question. That's it. 
and I think somewhere in there is the genius. I, you know, like and sometimes you get confused. Like Jesus says, "Love your enemies." Well, okay, everything we're reading is an English translation uh, of a translation that was in the Greek, that was a translation of what whatever he said in the Hebrew Aramaic. Yeah. So, and there's so much lost in translation. And the utilitarian language English is very good. It's, that's why you know control towers use it yeah. all across. You know, landing airplanes. It's utilitarian, but it's not anywhere as deep or expressive uh, as the Greek or the Latin or, or you speak Italian. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just know there are words, yep. so many words for the one word. So love in, in, in the Bible, the New Testament, in, uh, in, in the Greek, and, and then what we call the Torah in, in the Hebrew, uh, there are all these words that are used and yet are singularly translated into love. In the English, it could be respect. It could be- yeah. So, like when when like if you if you if you speak about uh, eros, erotic, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get erotic. Okay, that's that instant attraction, that mm-hmm. thing, that that primal, visceral, like whoa, you know. That's like a, <laughs> that's what the kids always tell me. I, mean, I fell in love with your mom at first sight, and they're all like, "No, you fell in lust with mom at first sight." I'm like, "You're not, you're not wrong." <laughs> de- definitely, <laughs> yeah. like, like wow, yes. that's that. That is not that is that, that that is not phileo. Like phileo, we think of like that is like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is like this deep affection I mean, mm-hmm. from the heart that's that's the love you have for your mom your dad your children your husband your wife your brother your sister that you know it's, yeah. not, it's not not the word when you say i love the dodgers or i love right. no that's no 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 <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no all no. they do is hurt me right, yeah, right. <laughs> and, then, and then you got a word like agape and agape is a word that is it's it's a very uh pragmatic expression of love. it's it's what you do okay so when when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. he's, he's, this is an action. Treat yeah. others the way you want to be treated. That's a kind of love that's just rooted in, in, a, in, a, in a principle of do the right thing in a, in a discipline. So when Jesus says, love your enemy, he's not saying, hey, have like attraction to them, have sure, like sure, brotherly, sure. like, oh. He's just saying, man, first I guess I'm saying don't, don't stoop to their level. Don't do what they do, mm-hmm. right? Treat them the way you wish you were being treated, yep. and 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 then you can grab your. Because a lot of people really wrestled with that in Christianity. Of like, How do I love my neighbor? He's such a jackass. Well, yeah, I don't. You don't have to like him, but you might jump his car in the morning. You know, yep. <laughs> even with a uh, grudgingly. Sure, that's love. Sometimes loving your enemy is like not punching him in the face. Yeah, yeah. That's as, that's about as loving as I can be right now. Right, and that's really love. All right, well, that's better. That's better. Yeah. It's better than punching him in the face. <laughs> I'm not seeing any of that in these mega churches or in these no, prosperity so gospels. I mean, that may be the worst of it all. I, I, I fell into Christianity. Like I grew up with these amazing parents. My dad, very influenced by Eastern spirituality and, and an agnostic. And uh, my mom, having grown up with the simplest introduction of the Christian faith that was just simple and rooted in those kind of tenets, love, forgiveness, those kind of things. I grew up in the 60s, and I'm watching movies about Jesus, and what I got was from these movies. I mean, all the classics, you know, Max von Sydow, mm-hmm. Greatest Story Ever Told. Yeah, all these, you know, King of Kings, Jeffrey Hunter, all these, all, all these amazing movies. Uh, but what I saw was this dirt-poor peasant guy walking around, touched by God, using whatever powers he has to heal and to love and care for the sick in 
uh, the outcast and the conflicted, you know, like I'm a tax collector and I'm ripping everybody off. Right. right? Well, you know, you don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, there's a way out. Like, yeah. I can be forgiven because yeah. I'm thinking I'm in so deep I don't have a chance. No, right. no, you, no, you can, you can yeah. flip this on a dime right now. Uh, that kind of stuff, and then just going off on the religion people, the religious people, the religious yeah. leaders. Yeah. Jesus never told anyone that they're going to hell, mm-hmm. never once. Okay, but he told the religious leaders they were going to hell all the time. Now the funny thing is, I don't think Jesus believed in hell at all. He knew the religious teachers did because right. they were sending on sending them there. Yeah. And he's like, hey, man, I got a bulletin for you. They're not going. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> the whores, the prostitutes, the drunkards, yeah. the tax collectors. No, they're they're tumbling into the kingdom of heaven. You right. are going to go to hell. Yeah. And, you know, can you imagine? So you, there's no no mystery why they killed him. Uh, but so I have, I have this affinity for that. But kind of like MMA, uh, as I grew out of the institution of Christianity, uh, growing out of the institution of Christianity actually introduced me to Jesus mm-hmm. because Jesus isn't found in Christianity. It's just not. It wasn't found in the church, and I was a church leader for 25 years. Problem for me is I deconstructed because I, I started asking questions and getting more educated, and and I, I, I came out of the fundamentalism slowly. Fundamentalism I stepped into quickly. Uh, football ended for me. I, I I grew up with some religion, and I'm like, I think I'll go to church. So Kathy and I got married. Let's go to this community church. That sounds safe. We go there. Well, I didn't know it was a what they call a five-point Calvinist, fundamentalist church, Reformed theology. I had no idea what any of that meant, mm-hmm. um, but it's a cult. And and, and I don't say that in, in the sense of, uh, of being an insult. All religions are cultic in nature. They, they are. And that's and that's okay necessarily, but what does the cult teach you? What does the cult? Yeah, you yeah. To like what are the? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. You can have yeah. and so the cult that I stepped into was super fundamentalist, and I just gotten out of football, and I had lost a sense of you know camaraderie, team, esprit de corps. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because football ends. It's not like you go to the gym and shoot shoot hoops and basketball. Like, hey, dude. Hey, grab the pads. Let's go. Let's go to the. Let's go to the park Saturday yeah, and beat yeah. the shit out of each other. Like, no, it's never gonna happen. It doesn't again. happen anymore, right? So, like, it, there's a real dispersion and disruption. And uh, and and I and I went to this this church, and they were great people, loving people, all that stuff. But, dude, I was, you know, I'm a team captain. I'm a leader. Yeah. And I found in this 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 toxic religion, also it being intoxicating. Like, wow, I've got a purpose in life again. I'm serving God. I got the truth, the right. word of God. That's a really, I sometimes I seriously miss it because I'm like, God, it was so simple then. Of course. When you got the truth <laughs> and you're absolutely right and everybody yeah. else is wrong, man, that's a good matrix to live yeah. your life by. You know, you can write people off so easily, you yeah. know. Uh, Have you know, fun right. in hell. Yeah, uh, exactly. And everybody's going to hell. Uh, but, but, when when people fly jets into buildings uh, for their God, I look at that and I can fully identify as to how and why, and and that could have been me in my right. own way. That's what makes it so scary. It's so scary. I see, I see. If it if it goes badly, it is Oklahoma City every three months. Absolutely, because it's not going to be soldiers lining up 
This is going to be Northern Ireland yeah, it's, type madness. It's it's a cultic. It's a it takes over your mind. It's a, it's a it's a mental illness really. That like look at most people who are suffering from mental illness are comfortable in it because they don't know they're suffering sure, from mental illness. Of course, illnesses. of course, everything happening around them that everybody else knows. Yeah, you know. So and that's that's what happens, especially when religion gets toxic. Now you put it in bed with politics. Oh, that's Jesus the worst. Jesus Christ, you know. And of course, that's the way it's always been. Yeah. Jesus started the non-political movement, and he was railing on the politics, and he was and he was not starting a new religion or, or a new denomination. He was ripping his host, his 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 birthed into religion of uh, and calling for reform within Judaism, uh, and that didn't go well with with the fundamentalists <laughs> there. So uh, the the truth is, Jesus did not have anything to do with what we currently have today, even of historically. The, the what we call Saul, Shaul, who's a Pharisee, who became Paul. Yeah. Paul invented Christianity. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He, he wrote all the theology of it. He never met Jesus. Now, he claimed yeah. to meet him in a desert. Yeah, okay, oh, that's convenient. Yeah, <laughs> I had a vision of him, and yeah. he taught me in the desert. Yeah, okay. Um, but So he, he devised Christianity, and he turned it into the hybrid religion that crossed over because it, 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 mm-hmm. it, it didn't exclude the Gentiles, but was inviting them into it and made it easier and easier for them to come into. And everybody wants to believe in something. We need it. Yeah. We need it. I mean, sometimes, man, I look up at the sky at night, and I and I get deep, and I'm like, "What the fuck are we doing here? What is this thing all <laughs> of course, about? Of course. It's freaking me out, yeah. man. I'm kind of freaking out right now. I don't know what's behind this, of course, and I don't know what it is, and I don't know if it's good or bad because there's so much bad, and yet I can't deny there's so much beauty yep. and good. Yep. You know, and so in 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 my 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 ministry, I deconstructed in front of the congregation, which is really amazing. I, I never got fired. I I never tried to keep my job either, but it was like for decades, it'd be like fifty one percent went like, "My God, did you hear what he said today? That that's really making me think." And then like forty nine percent going like, "We gotta freaking burn this guy at the stake." Of course, like now, yeah, we gotta take him out. Uh, so you must be familiar with John Pavlovitz. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very, very similar. Yes, he went through a Jim Palmer. Yeah. Why can't the gay people be here? Well, and I did all those things. You must have made them crazy. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. Okay, first, first things that went nuts is I took the flags off United States right. flag and all this thing from like up in the pulpit, and I had this big pulpit yeah. thing, and I. God, I offended the family because I was hand-hewn. I tried to be nice. I put it by the corner, but I'm, yeah. like, I'm not standing behind this. You know, I got down to the ground and and uh, started making changes. Like when the flags went out, that, that was, man, that was I'm magical. sure some like, people uh, didn't take it well. I don't think God's American or favors America. What uh, do you think of all the flags around football? I hate it. I hate it too. I hate that. Who the, I want to watch a football game. I don't need to see to some kind of army. Yeah, yeah, for the army or some kind of litmus test for patriotism. What the hell yeah, is that? It's interesting. Because yeah. I think about it, like growing up in Italy, going to watch sports. Yeah. Nobody played the Italian national anthem. You know what I mean? It's not a thing. It's like it's not even a. I'm sure there wasn't a pledge of allegiance. No, either. there wasn't. Yeah. Even because I mean, weird. I guess because of it's Italian weird, history. Weird, weird. Nationalism means fascism, basically in yeah. Italy. You know, so it's like any right. kind of. Here we go. So there was. We, we uh, know it well. Yeah, there here. was none of that. There was, you know, man. We should really. I feel like we 
barely are scratching the surface and getting the ball going. And I actually, in uh, just a few minutes, I have to take my daughter and their friends on. But I, l- I let's it. just let's hey, just do this we'll, as round we'll one. Do, we'll do round one. We'll do some more. We yeah. can talk about the religion thing because yeah, I, think, you I know, feel like you just had, got the ball yeah, rolling. You're warming up on this, and we'll jump on that. That is an area uh, of my life that that I've spent you know 33 years of entering into and exiting out of. Uh, and that, that's an, uh, that, to me, even I look back, like that's an amazing experience. And it's amazing I survived. It's amazing Let's, that I'm uh, still here. I badly want to do a round yeah. two on we'll that. We'll do a round two so on that. We do, uh, I have a grand concept that most of the evangelicals are colorblind because they don't seem to be able to read any of the red words in the Bible. <laughs> no, I know. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I brought a guy in here named Tony Campolo. And uh, this was years ago. Yeah. This is I really, the shit's hitting the fan. Because I'm bringing Campolo in, I still remember people coming to my office throwing this stuff down. And you know, he's, he's a he's a seminary professor and, and and theologian in Eastern University and an amazing writer and speaker. But he was he had an organization called Red Letter Christians. He says, I, "This is what I want to focus on." These the things. Jefferson Bible. Yeah, yeah. This is just just and then doing this stuff, and uh, and I loved it, you know. And that was part of the transition we'll talk about. And I love where I'm at today. I do. Uh, although I have to like say again, this it's so different than when you were walking around with certainty. Of know? course, uh, of course. Now everything's a big freaking question <laughs> yeah, mark to me. Yeah. I got to think about it and harder. Huh? Yeah, it's harder. Yeah, but it's better. Of course, but you can see why most people who choose to go the other route because I they are like absolutely this is look way at them too hard. sometimes with envy. Yeah, yeah, Dang, of course. I used, be, I used to be like that. No, no, no. That makes sense. <laughs> Just for a minute, yeah. but, but not, but not really. I like you with your blinders off. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I well, you know what, dude, Rich? Once you see, you can't unsee. At least that was my problem. Like once I peeled back something and went like, "Oh my God!" I was spoon fed that. This is a theological position that was spoon-fed, that was completely contrived and made up a yeah. thousand years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and now I'm, what? And that started it. And I just started, I started looking and, and I started telling people what I was finding out right in front of them, whether they liked it or not, this is where we're going. The whole concept of the Demiurge flipping everything in 200 AD. It's oh, so obvious that that's know, what's see, happened. So that's the funny thing, right? So stepping into fundamentalism, I like punt an amazing UCLA education out the door. I'm, no, like this is the craziness about it. Right? Yeah. This is the cult. What like six thousand. The Earth is six thousand years old. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. No, I was there. That's what I'm trying to say. I get it when people fly jets and the you you can get you so went pretty lost. hard in that direction. And you see right. that today. You yeah. see, I, I think there's a direct connection between what has been done with Christianity and the Bible and like. This book is the infallible, inerrant, authoritative word of God, perfect. And I'm like, what? what? Yeah. When you really study how the Bible came together, and nobody does. You just you get it from Moody Bible sure. Institute. This is the way it is. You do that. You buy that. And then you lead your life with that. And that's the way your mainframe works with the Bible. But it's not. It's not even close. And, and, and you can make it say whatever you want. Yeah. To, to Whether you want to condone slavery or yeah. owning women or treating your neighbor as yourself or taking care of the widow. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just look at those like the mixed martial artists. I look at those Take good components and, yeah, yeah. and then try to understand how the others were there. And there's reasons yep. that the others of course. came up. There's reasons. And a lot of them are rooted in fear. Uh, but believing just you see that today. People like completely check out, no matter what the facts are. Yeah. They yep. just yep. nope, 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 nope. This is what I believe and 
No, of course, because you don't, because then you question their sense of identity, you question their sense of self, it their sense ra- of it safety. There are yeah, too many things that they don't want to play with. Yeah, well, more of this conversation. But let's do that. In, yeah, right. round two. Thanks, I guys. look forward to. Thank you so much for Thank playing you. with us today. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. It's a beautiful, beautiful backyard here. Thanks. Yeah. Nice meeting you, Rich. This is the most hope I've had in a long time. All right. I work at the Griffith Observatory, and I look at the sky every night, and I get the six thousand year olders and the flat earthers all the time. Oh my gosh. Just yeah. looking at Saturn last night, it must have been 30 people that were convinced that it was fake or it was a sticker Dude. or somehow. I tell them, if I could pull off this stunt, the shenanigans I would be up to would be impressive at the least. No, and they're this. I know. I know. Astronomy, funny enough, plays a big role in my life, too, because uh, I always loved the cosmos. I always was looking up at the stars and I remember as a kid getting astronomy books and getting my first telescope. And We'll have to organize a trip, not to the Griffiths, but up to the big 60-inch telescope on Mount Wilson. Now, that's a big mirror, and uh, it'll blow your mind in a good way. Yeah, it is, but that that is that essential, like, no matter what I even think I don't know, yeah. I do know, shit, there's something going on here. I don't know if I'm, to what degree I'm involved. Like, a lot of people say to me, God, I had a guy It was actually pretty adorable. He tried to save me. He, he found out I was a pastor. He's a really nice kid. He just was absolutely devastated when he found out I was a pastor that left the ministry and he's trying to save me and he's doing the whole hell card, right? And I was, and, and I'm like, like yeah, I, I, I know your heart, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not, aren't you scared? You're on a railroad track and a train is coming for you called hell. And I'm like, no, honestly. All my friends are gonna be there anyway. That's so. what I said, I'm like, listen, dude, if that's the way this God really operates, yeah. There's no way I'm bending the knee and giving him filthy. Right. There's no way. That's a monster guy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I can go fuck itself. I don't yeah. care. Send me to hell. Right. I'll be in good company. I know. So I'd rather go there. And he just couldn't wrap his head around like... Of course. I love that the winds are arriving now and the squirrels are chasing around. It's <laughs> yes, yes. Like it's all pick it up. Are you good omens by any chance? No, but you got me interested. Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett wrote it. So essentially an angel and a demon sort of travel through history together. So they're always bumping into each other. And the opening sequence is they come across some guy being nailed to a cross, and one leans over the other and says, what this guy do? He said, he told them to love each other. And he said, yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that'll <laughs> do it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So There has to be a way to fix this. Well, and I, 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 I attempted, I attempted, I attempted, I attempted, and I, and I succeeded in so much that at a certain point, you know, I was like, you know what? When nobody shows up, I'll have done my job. <laughs> no, literally, the, that's success. That's it. Yeah, nobody shows up. I've done my job, and, and we're done. All right, Rich. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Enjoy, enjoy your company. We'll talk more. Talk about cliffhanger. The Funky Music means one thing, that's the end of another fine episode. Yes, we cliff hung you right there. We were just getting warmed up to what will be part two very soon. I really enjoyed that conversation. It was exactly what I needed. It's amazing to hear somebody to have that kind of journey that they can pull themselves out of the fire a bit. Yeah, no, he's a, and you know, he's a high energy, sweet guy. Yeah. Always with a smile on his face, trying his hardest just to make other people happy. Can be that. And not just high energy, good energy. I mean, he's just... Yep. Really positive dude, and he's built like a refrigerator. Yes, yes, you guys missed out on the visual. He's strong as hell. Yeah, no, fantastic. Looking forward to the next one. And uh, I have nothing to add. Perfect. See y'all soon. Bye.
Would you like to hear a terrible story? Yes, always. One day the road shall teach you. What have we learned this week? Be calm, be kind, be brave. Yep, words to live by. See you guys. D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo!